Welcome back to Around the 412. We are part of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Tyler, and with me as always is my co-host Smitty. Back to the original intro for this week. If you listened to last week, it was a whole show. Um, but yeah, we're going to get right into a question that we had on Twitter. Um, because to be we honest, there's a couple questions, but yeah, we had a couple questions, but we're going to get in the right in this way. Cause at least this one is more, uh, sports related than some of the other questions we got. And, yeah. um, it comes from Doran Dickerson. A lot of you might've know, know him, <laughs> uh, or heard of that guy might be famous in Pittsburgh, but so he asked, should Pitt Duquesne and RMU football have an in-camp scrimmage every year? Open to the public like a preseason game. Man, that is interesting. Obviously, like uh, from like a national level, I don't know how much interest there would be in it, right? But like just on a, like a local level, I think that's a cr- like a crazy good way to like drum up interest. It's almost like you know how like Pitt and Duquesne basketball would play each other every year uh, until Pitt got scared to do that because Duquesne actually beat them, what they thought would never happen. <laughs> um, but. You know, I, I think it is a good way to just like kind of like drum up some interest on a local level for all the programs. I think it'd be kind of like Pitt doing the other teams a favor as well. Um, I, I like the idea. I don't know, you know, if, if this is literally just Doran off the top of his head saying this or if it has been discussed at any level. Um, but just like from, you know, a, a fan of sports in me and, you know, following the local teams, why not? Yeah, I, I think it could be kind of like a version of a inner squad game, like they have the blue and gold game for Pitt mm-hmm. Athletics. I, I think you could call it like blue and gold versus blue and red because Duke and RMU are both, both blue and red. But Doran also went on to explain further. Yeah, I'm seeing that, that now. It, I'm, I'm seeing yeah, it's, it's not okay. it's not like an actual game where they're actually tackling. He, he thinks it could just be like one-on-one, seven-on-seven team mm. stuff. Okay. And, and – more of a organized practice like the NFL does with these inner inner practice or, or inner team practices. I, I think that um, it's a really interesting idea. I think it could be, bring a lot of attention to the programs because I mean you have individual fans for all three, and by no means are any of the three, including Pitt, really that big within the scope of Pittsburgh sports. I know Pitt has gotten, especially last season. For how great they were, they gotten a little more attention than, than they usually do. But let's face it, being in Pittsburgh, you're going to be competing against the professional teams no matter what. And if this is open to the public, it's free. It gets people a way to get into the stadium and really see these guys play and see what product they could be getting on the field and kind of just mm-hmm. introduce them to the team itself without actually having to buy tickets to a game or really dive down and read into what Pitt football athletics is doing. And because let's be, let's face it. There's not a whole lot of interest compared to the professional sports for Pitt, Duquesne, RMU, any of it. And so I think this would just be a fun way more than anything to get people more involved with the college athletics in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. What I think would end up happening, like even if you keep it at like a drills level and not have an actual game, I think you're going to see some heated battles going on, like especially like a kid that's at like Duquesne or something that didn't get an offer from Pitt trying to like show up and show why he should have gotten one. I mean, it would be it would be great to watch. Right. You just have to be worried about like guys getting injured going too far. But I like the idea on the surface level, at least, Oren. So 
Thanks for sending that in. Uh, Cody, I'm not going to give you my social security number, um, at least not on the air. If you, I, if you, I can text it to you if you want me to. Um, but there were a couple other like serious questions that we did get. Someone asked about Daniel Vodabach, just recently came back to the Pirates lineup. The Pirates might actually dictate a good portion of the show today, which is going to be surprising for people that are regular listeners. And absolutely like no Penguins talk, because what I typically do when I'm going to put the show together, right, I go... And I just looked at like recent news on the team and say, oh, this would be something great for us to discuss. Last week, we talked about players that could potentially be traded because of Ron Hextall talking about cap space during his press conference. Uh, that was literally the only topic really recently that came up when I was looking at the team on the score ESPN. It took me to an article about some trade bait candidates on the team. So we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We should have waited. They tuned into the it, show. We, yeah. we were ahead of the curve. They, they got the idea from us. We trademarked that idea. But uh, one of the questions from Rich was, why has Daniel Vodabach been so good for the Pirates? Um, I, I think what's, listen, by, by the way, what it's so weird that he had been the leadoff hitter for so long. I don't know if we're going to see it again. Like he, Brian Hayes has kind of settled into that role or like even Brian Reynolds at times this year. They've, they've operated with some different guys there. Ben Gann, when he comes back, he might be in that role depending uh, on what they, where is he going to play though? We'll get into that. But Daniel Vodabach specifically, I think what's so great about him is the number of pitches that he sees. He really, he has a great eye for the strike zone. Like if he looks at a pitch, if it's a borderline pitch and it's outside, the umpire should know that it's not a strike and not to call it because Vodabach knows the strike zone better than he does. Um, I think for me, that's really it is the patience, how many pitches he sees. Obviously, he's got a good bit of pop, too, for a lineup that doesn't have a ton of that. You obviously need some of that. And he can provide some of that thump. Um, but he's been a really nice addition. He's obviously not like in the long term plans of this team, but a short term. You know, he's been one of the uh, one of the reasons I think that the team hasn't been as bad as, as a lot of people thought they would be. Yeah, he, I mean, he's not an all star by any means, but I envision him and I, I think of guys that were like imagine the Moneyball movie the guys that were <laughs> basically signed to get on base and that's kind of what he's done this season for the Pirates he hasn't been an all-star he hasn't been amazing by any means but when what he's done is provide enough offensively and uh, and, and as a thick boy I really appreciate that uh, but getting on base is what he's been really good at and I, I, I think that uh, he's definitely contributed to this Pirates team and something that this team has done recently is like there's a lot of younger guys as well um mm -hmm. which I, I we can get into uh later when we talk Pirates uh, but we will. contributing yeah I mean we're getting contributions from this team that we didn't think we were going to get um from other areas as well and, and it, it's it's really pleasant to see and it, it's a signing that actually worked out yeah, he had been a tone setter when they did have him, you know, up near the top of the lineup. Um, that really hasn't been the case as of late, like I said. But uh, still, it's been it's been a quality sign. Of course, like a, a guy that hasn't played the field at all for them, he's pretty much strictly in that DH role. But yeah. uh, it is what it is. Obviously, with the DH coming to the NL, you need a guy like that to be there. So he's done. I mean, everybody can see why he's a DH. Let's be honest. But I, I, yeah. I really want to know if you go back in the history of baseball, has there ever been a bigger leadoff history hitter? In the history of baseball, ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I guess we could look it up. <laughs> we we have we do have the ability to look things up right here. True. I have my computer. Right, let, let's find out uh, who is the heaviest. We'll word this nicely. <laughs> leadoff hitter in MLB history. Hey, this is a question out of respect because the way that he was killing it for a while. I mean, you got to have to have respect for it. <sighs> 
Well, Anything? of course. I, it's I don't probably not an easy answer to this. find. It's, it's no, it, probably it goes not a very common like, question. Yeah, it goes to who are the best leadoff hitters of all time and such like that. Uh, if anybody does have that answer, that'd be great, though, because now I'm curious as well. So yeah, if somebody let does us know, know the answer to that. Is, is he the largest, heftiest <laughs> uh, player that has ever led off a game or led off a team? Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was where the Steelers tickets, because we put out that we are going to give away Steelers tickets, maybe two pairs, depending on where we're at followers wise. But definitely when we hit 17,000 Twitter followers, we're at 15.2 something right now. So the answer to that question on the surface is whenever we get to 17,000 Twitter followers. But for everybody that's listening right now, I don't know how you would not be following us on Twitter. I feel like that's where most of our you know, uh, people come from that know about the show in general or probably from mm-hmm. Twitter. But if you are not, for some reason, please follow us on Twitter. We're going to be giving away Steelers tickets, Steelers Ravens, uh, when we hit 17,000 Twitter followers. And then if we, some by some chance, hit 20,000 before the season starts, we're going to give away a second pair of Steelers tickets to a different game. So potentially two different pairs of Steelers tickets on the line here. So be sure to follow us on Twitter. But the answer to that question is just, hey, as quick as you guys want to get us to 17,000 Twitter followers. Yeah, last thing before we move on to the next segment. And this is actually a, something that I can relate to the Penguins, I guess, a little bit, and something that we don't talk about on this show at all. Um, Penguins owner LeBron James recently said that he, out of the playoff teams that are currently, that, or that made the playoffs this year for the NBA, uh, he would like to play for the Warriors. So I just want to say that as a, I wouldn't say non-NBA fan. I just don't have a team. I, I like specific players, but being from Pittsburgh, we don't have an NBA team. But as right. a as a non-team affiliated affiliated NBA fan, I would love to just see the chaos of LeBron going to the Warriors. So I am all for it as as the Penguins co-owner going to play with Steph Curry. Yeah, we kind of already saw something similar with, with that, like when Kevin Durant left to go to Golden State, right? This will be a little bit different, um, but. Yeah, when I think chaos is a perfect word for it. So, uh, but that would have that would have to mean Bronny goes there too, right? I mean, that's where LeBron eventually wants to be playing, wherever it is that Bronny's at. So, even if it's somewhere random like Orlando or something, we'll, to we'll sign see. like a one or two um, year deal. Yeah. Um, when we come back, we're actually going to talk about the Steelers here in this middle segment. Segment uh, mini camp started this week following OTAs. I want to talk about two players that we, we've gone back and forth talking about. They're in two different like contract talks with the team, but one is going through team drills right now, and the other one is not, and the answers to those might surprise you because they're flip-flopped from what we thought they would. We're going to talk about that when we come back. This is Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. back to around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. Like I said, to finish off the last segment, Steelers minicamp is underway this week. Voluntary. No more. Got to be there for minicamp. Um, which Deontay Johnson was there for voluntary OTAs. So we, we knew that he was going to be here for this week for sure. Last week was kind of a question, so it was great to see him there. What's even better to see for Deontay Johnson is that he's doing literally everything. He's working all the drills. He's with the receivers. He's catching passes from the new quarterbacks. He spoke very highly of the new quarterbacks. Really was hammering home the point about Mitch Trubisky. I don't know if you saw that today, but he spoke to the media for the first time, obviously, since returning to the team as well, and was mm-hmm. really talking about Mitch Trubisky glowingly. Um, but 
the the point that I'm that I'm trying to get to here with Deontay Johnson is we're seeing him do everything. Like I mentioned, we're not seeing him like and, and nothing against what TJ did last year, or anything like that. I think he had every right to do what he did until he got paid kind of being on the sidelines, still around the team, but not doing literally everything. That's what we're seeing with Minka Fitzpatrick though. is kind of in that same thing. Now, will that change as the time goes on, as we get closer to the season? I don't know, but at least for right now, we're seeing Deontay Johnson in a contract. I don't want to say dispute, but negotiating a new deal with a team doing everything and Minka Fitzpatrick in a similar boat, not doing everything and just kind of being around the team. When I look at this, I think that Minka might have more leverage than Deontay to not participate. And the reason I say that is Minka is the two-time all-pro safety. I mean, he is one of the anchors on that defense. And not to say that Deontay Johnson isn't super important to the Steelers' offense, because he is, but I think there's a a level of difference between the two players of of how important they are to this team. Um, And... Maybe I'm completely wrong because Deontay Johnson is the clear number one wide receiver on this team. But I think when you're a two-time All-Pro at your position, you have more leverage in in the say of like I'm not going to participate, and which is why I'm I'm fine with the decision by Minka to do like similar to what TJ did in going into a contract year and try, trying to negotiate that contract. And I, maybe Deontay Johnson, his mindset is like I'm going to come in and participate and like show the Steelers like. I am willing to work for this contract. I'm not going to hold out or be, I mean, quote unquote, a diva receiver. I I, I don't call them that, but mm-hmm. I know a lot of people like to think that people who hold out are in that category. Um, but he's trying to show the Steelers that he is willing to work for it. And he's going to come and he's going to work with these new wide receivers. He's going to work with the new quarterbacks, like you mentioned, and really build the camaraderie with everybody, but also show the Steelers that he's not going to, um, hold out. He's going to try to do everything impossible to not just get better as a player, but to help the team win. And so maybe that's the difference. I I, I don't really know, but it is surprising to see uh, him like participating in everything. And it was even more surprising to see him uh, come to OTAs like we brought up when, when we didn't even think he was going to show up. Right. Yeah. You know, like the, that's an interesting point that you make about the leverage part of it. I didn't think about that. My mind just automatically went to the fact that like, I know that there's going to be some changes on defense. Obviously there's a new defensive coordinator, like, you know, Terrell Austin taking over, but he was kind of already here last year. How much about the defense is really going to change. There's obviously some turnover year in and year out, but with the offense, we know it's going to be like drastically different. So maybe they felt like, or Deontay Johnson took that upon himself feeling like, okay, I need to be here because I'm going to be catching the football from a new quarterback, regardless of who wins the competition. It's going to be somebody else. It's not going to be Ben throwing me the football in Minka Fitzpatrick's case. That's not really, he's in the same exact spot. Like he's going to have a lot of the same pieces around him. Deontay Johnson, I think is clearly in a different situation this year than he was was last year so that's where my mind went to we're never really going to know like what the reason is that he felt the need to be there last week and he can say and he's saying all the right things too but like deep down the actual reason that he's that he's going through all these things uh, we're never going to actually know what that is but I'm just glad that it is happening he did touch on briefly when asked about it like he had a little bit of a smile on his face too, talking about the wide receiver market like he knows he can he wants to be in Pittsburgh he says that I have no reason to believe that that's not the case but at the same time like he knows if it's Pittsburgh it's somewhere else he, he's going to get paid after this season so he has every reason to have the a very big smile on his face when talking about the wide receiver market 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the the way wide receivers is it's really changed. I, I I remember whenever Antonio Brown signed a contract extension and he was getting like I think like what was it sixteen million guaranteed on it. And granted, it was a big contract, but the, the, to see where yeah, he only got nineteen million now, on his last one. Uh, yeah, but to see what the way the contracts are now for receivers, I mean, you're going to be pushing like $30 million for some of the top-end guys. That, that's really a drastic change within a really short period of time. And, yeah, Deontay Johnson, he's got really nothing to worry about. I, I would love for him to be a stealer because he's such a dynamic player. Um, but we could talk about him leaving after the season. He still has one more season with the, with the Steelers, so I'm not really worried about that right now. Right. What's interesting, real quick, before we move on to the other piece of Steelers news to talk about, is we've seen the the wide receiver market like balloon when it comes to paying these guys. Right. Like we're talking about kind of like coinciding with the talent coming out of college being so good. It's like you can get guys in the third round that immediately are stepping on the field day one and being an impact guy. And it's like, OK, so how do you weigh that? Like, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys. that's like, oh, play him four years, five years, if they're a fifth round pick, let them go. Just draft another Are, guy. Is, you can't just automatically draft wide a guy receiver, and say, okay. This wide receiver, the new running back. Is it gonna be the is it gonna become the new running back if the skill set continues out of college? I mean, here's the thing with like I even said about this class that just came out, right? Like I think that there's maybe five or six guys that are like even wide receiver twos. I, I didn't love this class. I didn't think like the high end talent was there. I think it's pretty solid like depth wise. But honestly, like I'm not just saying this because I'm a Steelers fan. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because I'm a Steelers fan. Like Pickens, to me, has just as high of a ceiling and is maybe like one of three guys that could end up being a wide receiver one. There's not that many in this class, in my opinion. So that just is kind of me hammering home the point. It's not as easy as just just draft a guy and he's automatically your wide receiver one or two. because it, it's it's not going to be that way. I know that we've had really good classes. I think we were very spoiled. We were spoiled. 19, yeah. 20, and 21. Absolutely. And now everybody thinks every single draft class is just going to be ridiculous automatically. Yeah, I, I think that's multiple positions, not just wide receiver. I think quarterback, too. You, and we really saw, like, the NFL, like, they didn't love this quarterback class. We were kind of spoiled with the high-end talent at that quarterback position, wide receiver position. And I, I think that the, there's going to be down years. You, the trend can't continue always. But, yeah, wide receiver is super important. Deontay is super important. So I'm just glad that he's here right now. Um, the, the other thing to talk about with the Steelers, it happened literally the day after our show came out last week. Uh, yeah. Stephon Tewitt retiring from the NFL. Now, I don't want to say that this is like a huge shock, right? Like he didn't play at all last year. A um, couple of different reasons that we know of. Um, but obviously, like the, the more and more time that went by without him returning to the team, this became more of a possibility. Like some of the guys on the team were. They, they were they were so intent in saying that, like, okay, he's going to be here, he's going to be here, he's just not here right now. And just a couple days later, it comes out that he is retiring. Um, you know, obviously a great player on the football field. It's it's That 2014 class might be the biggest what-if for the Steelers that, that I can think of. Ryan Shazier, Stephon Tewitt, Mortavis Bryant, all in that draft class. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously great player. I wish him nothing but the best. It's a shame that, you know, his career is coming to an end. Really. I don't want to say not on his terms because he's making this decision, but you know, the tragedies that have taken place in his life have really, you know, led him to this point. So all the best to Stefan to it. Um, great player went on the field, but man, what a shame. Yeah. I, I, I hope that he has a great life after football. He was a great football player for the Steelers. Um, and it, it sucks that 
as as much as we like we've talked about Stefan to it that immediately as I mean as football fans we have to look at like okay how yeah. are the Steelers going to replace him it's not that we want the conversation to go there immediately but it kind of has to but yeah first Stefan to it I, I I'm I'm really grateful for the way he was a Steeler he was he was a really good player um and like you said that 2014 class was nuts um biggest what if it, it's it stinks anytime a great player like that has to go. Um, but I, I think he's at peace with this. I, I think that he is fine with the decision that he made. And I, I, I think that the way that the players were talking about like, oh, he's going to be back, he's going to be back, that just shows to me that the players and the organization did not know what was going to be happening with Stephon Tuitt before mm-hmm. or, at, or or immediately after the draft because I saw a lot of people complaining about like well, why didn't they prepare for this bit in a better way listen they didn't know they had, they had no idea for sure what Stefan Tuitt's plan was going to be I don't even think Tuitt knew up until probably within like a week or two of his announcement of retirement what he was going to be doing so to say that the Steelers should have prepared better I, I just think that's unfair to them because I just don't think they had any idea that they were knowing. And hearing the comments of like a week prior to Stefan Tuitt's announcement of the his players, like Cam Hayward saying like, oh, he's going to be back, that that, mm-hmm. that just proves to me more that no one had any idea. But I, I hope he has a great retirement, great life after football. Hope he's healthy. He'll be, hope he could find peace with everything. Um, but now we have to talk like where is the production going to come from? The, the, we saw without Stefan Tuitt and Tyson Alualu. As, as well, but this year we're going to hopefully have a healthy Tyson Alu-Alu. But the run defense really suffered up front um, on that defensive line. Where's the production going to come from? Is it going to come from in-house, or is it going to come from outside the organization via, via trade or free agent signing? Um, You know, obviously getting Alu-Alu back is big. I will say, though, like who knows what version of him we're getting. You know, that wasn't just some like minor injury that he suffered last year, and he's not a young guy. So I have no idea what like the rehab has been like or anything like that. I haven't gotten word on really what he's looked like um, here at early in minicamp or anything like that. Um, yeah, you just hope that he's close to the player that he was before injury for the Steelers because that was a very good player. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to go out and do anything. I, I think that you look at what they have in-house right now. Obviously, they brought back Monty Adams. They drafted the Marvin Leal. You have Isaiah Loudermilk, who you hope takes that second-year leap. Um and then Chris Wormley, who was kind of the guy last year without to it, you know, having seven plus sacks last year. I think that they're going to stay in house for this. Hope that, you know, they kind of get that same production from Wormley this year and hope everybody else behind him kind of takes another step because they're all still, you know, so young very early in their careers that that is very possible. And you hope that Alu Alu is, is close to the player that he was. I don't see them going out and getting like an Adam Kinsu that people are talking about. You know, Akeem Hicks signed with the Bucks like the day before Stephon Tua retired, which, by the way, it being on June 1st, you know, that makes me think like the Steelers kind of might have pushed the, pushed the issue for him to say, you know, where are you at right now with it? Because we need to know because June 1st, they can then spread out that dead cap over the next two years because of that, as opposed to if it would have happened before June 1st, it's just a dead cap hit for this year. Mm-hmm. So it gave them a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, to answer your question, though, I, I, I think that what they have in house is what they're going to roll with. If that's the decision that they make, I think that you need to see vast improvements from those guys because it, you mentioned the seven sacks from Chris Wormley wasn't all that great in run defense. Isaiah Loudermilk, because he's going to take that. Which is supposed to be his strength. Like that's what he was yeah. in Baltimore. 
But like, like Loudermilk, is he going to make that next jump to be a, a good defensive tackle? It is DeMarvin Leal, what, what's he going to be? I mean, I know he's a rookie, but with, with Stephon Tuitt out, you might be <clears throat> seeing more of DeMarvin Leal uh, earlier in his career. Is, is he going to be playing five technique, three technique, zero technique? I know he wants to play all three, but that's going to take some time at the NFL level. And so where is the production going to come from these guys? Because based off last year, you're going to have to get vast improvement if you're going to stick with in-house, which makes me think that there's a potential, and I don't know if it's going to be trade, free agent signing, or who it's going to be. I'm not going to be able to give you the name, but with the Steelers having currently $21 million in cap space and having guys on their roster that they can currently restructure contracts to give them even more cap space, I think it would be smart to at least look outside the organization at possibilities to bring in because based off what we saw last year, I'm not that confident in being able to solve the run defense in-house. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking what I would do, I would love to see them add you know, a veteran body to that defensive line. I was answering that as what I think is going to happen, and what I think is yeah. going to happen is they just stay in-house um, to replace him, but... I mean, there are still some intriguing names, I guess, like Larry Ogunjobi had his deal next with the Bears because of a failed physical. If they can circle back there and he's healthy enough, I think that'd be a great addition. Obviously, he has the familiarity with the AFC North. I don't care about the incident with Mason Rudolph. I, I was going to ask, do you, do you think that has any effect on the Steelers' decision whether they would bring him in or not? He, he might be here and Mason might not. So, <laughs> I guess that's knows? true. Yeah. So now, there are some intriguing names out there. Obviously, Akeem Hicks would have been a really nice one if, if they would have known, if they would have had clarity there as to what the situation was to bring him in because that's a starting capable guy. But at this point, yeah, I'm thinking we see a lot of Hayward, Alu-Alu, and Wormley. It would make sense. I mean, th- that would be the three. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I just hope that, the, that Wormley takes that next step in being able to be a run defender like he was in Baltimore. Yeah, um, I think that's it Steelers-wise. So we're actually, man, how about this? We're going to talk about the Pirates when we come back, who are playing right now, by the way, but also have been playing some really good baseball as of late. A lot of young guys contributing to that. Who would have thought? Let the kids play. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. This is around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. We're going to talk about the Pirates to wrap up this week's show. First and foremost, big shout out to Travis Swaggerty, friend of the show. Uh, He's been on here and he is making his MLB debut as we speak right now. By the time you guys watch or listen to this, it will have happened yesterday. But starting out in center field with Brian Reynolds being the DH. So happy for him. You know, he's overcome so much, you know, on a personal level. Uh, but also just like all the injuries that he's gone through recently, like that shoulder injury, a lot of people thought like, man, is this going to derail his career? Because he he didn't look like the same player coming back from it either. And all of a sudden at the AAA level this year, really getting hot when he came back, earning the call up. So awesome to see from him. But this is like now just one in a string of call ups that we've seen from the Pirates recently where guys are just getting an opportunity to play. These kids are getting an opportunity to play and good things are happening right now for the Pirates. Yeah, um, I I don't want to brag, but we kind of called this in like 2018. Um, 
with our we our trust the buck and process shirts that we gave out to like all these players multiple <laughs> completely players. different front office and everything yep completely different front office but multiple guys that had had our trust the buck and process shirts are coming up to the mlb now and, and yeah, producing right as, now as well him. travis yeah. is our best friend uh, o'neill cruz is going to be on his way soon um but yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like toot our own horn a little bit. But we kind of called this like four years ago. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of true though. Like we've really been wanting this for a while. And when I say like wanting this, I'm talking about like I'm sick of like the old, um, like the the Cole Tuckers of the world, like those those kind of guys. I mean Kevin Newman to a certain extent. The the same old players that we've seen for the past few seasons that like don't really add much product production to the lineup and we at least if they're going to be bad on the field we would rather see the young guys and see what we have with those guys like having cal mitchell up Tukapita marcano if i i hope i said that correctly um I and so. that's pretty good yeah i i, I would pat myself on the back for that one um but jack sawinski he, he had a walk sawinski's a wild one tonight yeah, I know, but it, it's just a lot of fun to watch right now, and that's what I've, I've talked about all season. Give us something fun to watch as baseball fans, and not only fun, but like they've been winning. They, mm-hmm. They've they've won multiple series the past couple weeks, and it, it's been a lot of exciting baseball for the Pirates. Yeah, obviously, you know the sweep against the Dodgers. We could talk about all the time. This probably what we're going to end up hanging our hat on this year as Pirate fans. But then, you know, they come back home, didn't have a great start to that, but then followed up with really good back-to-back games. Obviously, the Sawinski walk-off um, on Saturday afternoon. Um, but I, with Sawinski, he's really getting it going. By the way, in this game that's going on right now, he had a hit. He got thrown out at second, tried to stretch to a double, but got another hit. Um, but he's starting to find that power. Like, you know, six home runs now, but he's just become a doubles machine. And I, I don't know. I've tweeted about it so many times recently, but – this guy didn't play in triple a like typically with the way that the pirates are you know with, with that with how they are with development i i know that we're talking about like different front offices here going from like the neil huntington regime to the ben sherrington regime but they don't typically like fast track guys you know and to see a guy like him get the call from double a and just refuse do everything in his power to get sent back down i'm not saying he's a finished <laughs> product i'm not saying he didn't need to spend time in triple a Obviously, like there was, he was batting under 200 for a good portion here until he really got the bat going. But yeah. he looks like, okay, he's done enough now for me to be like, okay, this guy is really like intriguing to me. It's not just like he's, he can do more than just have a cup of coffee in the majors. Like this could be a guy that is a piece. Yeah, he deserves to be playing here. It's kind of like with, with what we were saying in the preseason with Diego Castillo. Why should he not be here? Why, why should Jack Sawinski not be at the MLB level? He And he's playing well right now, as are a lot of these guys that we brought up. I mean, I, I was happy. It was really funny, too. I, let me just tell a quick story. I, I was at the game where it was Cal Mitchell's first game, and it was also Ruanzi's Contreras' first start. And that mm. was the game I went to with my wife and my parents while we were home. And it was super funny because my mom had no idea. Because I told her that Cal Mitchell, this was his first MLB game. And she's like... Well, I, are his parents here? I'm like, Mom, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> earthly idea. And I'm not even like watching the Pirates broadcast, so I don't know if like Robbie interviewed them or anything like that. But yeah, my mom basically stood in as Cal Mitchell's like mom in that game and was cheering for her for him like super hard. And, and when he got the RBI in that game, and like she was super happy about that. 
And it, it was just really funny. So, yeah, that was just a little quick story about Cal Mitchell. My mom basically, like, was taking place. You know what that reminds me of? There. I've seen on TikTok recently, like, just because it was just graduation season, like, people putting up videos of their parents, like, chanting each kid's name and clapping just because, like, you don't know if someone is there for these kids. And it just reminded me yeah. of that, like, when you were talking about it. So, yeah, no, that's really cool. Fun. Cal Mitchell was another one of those guys, though, that just recently came up that we're talking about. And, you know, he's he's had his struggles. He's kind of had some bumps in the road, kind of a roller coaster start so far. Growing but pains. he's yeah, he's shown enough to, like, continuously be in the line. And now it's going to be interesting to see how you also get him and Swaggerty at bats. But I guess that's what the DH is for. Um, but, man, like, I want to talk about Ronzi Contreras. You just mentioned you were there for his first start. Mm-hmm. He is by no means a finished product. He doesn't even he doesn't even fully know. I don't think what he has, but man, he looks like there was a point where I was like, okay, this could be great if this guy could be like a number three or something for us. He looks like a top of the rotation pitcher, and if that's going to be the case, if he can be a number one or two for the future for the Pirates, this, that just answered a huge question for me in terms of where is the pitching going to come from when this team is supposed to be good. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a super raw prospect still. And like you were saying, I, he doesn't really know what he has. And I don't think the Pirates really knew what they had when they got him, but he's turning out to be a really good pitcher. He's giving you quality starts every time he goes out on the mound. And th- like we talked about, that's something that we did not get early on in the season from the Pirates that we're getting now. And it's helping the Pirates win. It's helping them not tax their bullpen too much. Getting those those starters into the fifth, sixth inning helps the team a lot. And when they're performing at a level, especially Rowanzi Contreras, it, it, it's going to be giving yourself a chance to win every single night you go out there. Yeah, absolutely. I, and the team as a whole you know, is going out there every single night. They're competing. I, I don't want to call them like, and DK made a point to make sure people weren't calling them this. They're not just like a scrappy bunch. I think like... Honestly, Will Crow might have been onto something when he was talking about this team when he said that they're they're a good team and they fully believe that. Either they are, either they're a decent team to a good team, or they're too stupid to realize that they're not supposed to be. Because yeah. there's something there's something going on at Pittsburgh. I don't know that they're gonna end up being good by the end of the year, but I know for a fact they're gonna be competing every single night and they're not gonna lose a hundred games. I'll say it again. <laughs> no, it's it's super hard to win lose a hundred games. The Pirates in their history which is since what, 1887, I believe, has have only done it like five or six times. So it's super. And hard they did it last that. year, and they're not going to do it in back to back years. So exactly. Um, but something I want to bring up just to kind of close out Pirates talks: Are you concerned about Brian Reynolds at all? The the way that he's been playing, uh, I know that he he's visibly frustrated. I feel like um, out there. I mean, I think he's still having a fun when it comes to at least the team environment and winning the games, but individually. I feel like he's frustrated, especially when it comes to batting. Are, are you concerned about Brian Levels or Brian Reynolds' production at all? I'm not. Maybe I should be. Maybe I'm just being like cautiously optimistic here. But the way I'm looking at it is, he's had more success with worse lineups hitting around him. I I just think he's way too talented. and He's going to figure it out. Like especially when you get another bat here, like O'Neill Cruz, another guy that people aren't going to be able to just pitch around. Um, I'm. I'm, you know, content with saying that Brian Reynolds is going to figure it out. I, I just think he's too good. He's done it already at this level against the pitching that he's seen, um, again, with very little to no lineup protection. I just think as more talent continues to come here, we're going to see the the 2021 version of Brian Reynolds come back. So, no, I'm not. I'm not worried about him. I'm not right now either. I mean, maybe it's just like a syndrome of like 
starting early in the season, but then he picks it up in the summer. I mean, we saw that with Andrew McCutcheon multiple times throughout his tenure. <laughs> Pretty in the Pirates. much every in, season, in yeah. A- April and May, he was terrible, and then June, June through ju- like August, he was batting like four hundred. So the best player in baseball for two months. May- every maybe we'll year. see that, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not really concerned right now. I, I'm just. I just figured I'd bring it up because I, I know a lot of people online are and the people that follow the Pirates. It's like, why is Brian Reynolds struggling the way he is? But at least we have yeah, Brian think, Hayes to pick up the slack. Yeah, I think when you look at where the team is right now and you see all these other encouraging signs, you just wish that he was you know, kind of leading that charge. Um, but again, I, I think that I think he'll figure it out as, you know, other pieces like, like again, when O'Neill Cruz gets here. You know who are you really like going to be pitching around when you look at the top of the lineup? So he'll be all right. He's going to get his here soon. Um, I but I just want to ask you to kind of close this thing out. <clears throat> are we in for a fun summer of Pirates baseball? Do you think? Like I, I don't know if it's going to be good, but I just have a feeling like there's not going to be many games where I'm turning them off early. The Pirates are all the way back. <laughs> I'm ready for right. my email about Bucktober. They are back. We're not Texas. The Pirates are back. We are. Hold on. Let me let me go to the standings real quick. We got Chris uh, Halleck and everything just turned around. Yeah, exactly. That's all we needed. I mean, we're <laughs> we're seven games out of the division, but what are we in the in the wild card race? I uh, mean, four, we're, we're four games, four and a half, maybe. That's nothing. That's like one series. That's like the series mm-hmm. against the Brewers in 2018. We swept them in five games. Come on, we are all the way back in. As sarcastic as I am right now, I'm still very <laughs> excited about Pirates baseball, and specifically because of the young guys being being called up. It's literally what we've been asking for for a couple seasons now, and being able mm-hmm. to see it and getting the production that we've gotten from some of them and being able to see the process of them become big leaguers is going to be fun to watch. No matter whether the team wins or lose, I will enjoy the process of watching these prospects that we've been waiting to get to the majors actually perform and and see what they have yeah i mean so o'neill cruz right is the guy that we're like really waiting on beyond him like who do you think would be the next guy called it could be another one of our guys in cody bolton if they're looking for a pitcher here soon but like is mason martin ever going to get a shot what's going on with him like juan bay maybe if they need a middle infielder at some point i think that he's probably knocking on the door i mean i feel like i would say mason martin I, i understand the strikeout percentage is substantial but I feel like the production that he has outside of that is is too good to just like ignore and keep down in the minors. You got to test it out at the MLB level at some point. I mean, this guy basically hits a home run every game. So yeah. if he's going to do that, see if he can do it in MLB ballparks and give yourself some extra runs. Especially when your best option at first base right now is an out of position Michael Chavis. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I but, but like, yeah, you it, Chang, you're getting nothing from. If a guy hits a home run every single game, and he has to say it's three at bats, hits a, hits one home run, strikes out the other two. I mean, you're you're still batting. That's a lot of what the league is becoming anyway. So yeah, so test out the waters, Mason Martin. That's the one next one for me after Ono Cruz to come up, especially because they don't really have a true first baseman. Bring them up together. Might as well. There we go. Just, just trust the buck and process, people. Come on, bring it back. <laughs> ben Sherrington needs to trust the buck and process like we were when it was Steel Neil Huntington running the show. Exactly. That's what needs to happen. Uh, but other than that, I think that about wraps it up. Let us know what you guys think about anything that we discussed in the show. Let us know any questions you might have for next week's show. All that good stuff. 
Um, but until then, for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been around the 412 on the DT Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Subscribe to us, leave us a like, comment, wherever you guys are listening or watching. Get us 17,000 followers on Twitter. And we'll get give us 17,000 followers. Steelers, Ravens tickets. Absolutely. So look forward to that. Uh, until then, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye bye.